We serve an amazing, faithful God, don't we? Amen. Um, before we get into what we're talking about today, uh, I want to invite all of you guys back uh, tomorrow, not tomorrow night, but Tuesday night, June 4th, uh, at 7 o'clock. We're having another worship night in here. How many of y'all have been to a Catalyst worship night before? Amen. And so all of y'all are invited here at 7 o'clock just for a night of praise and worship. Uh, it is amazing what happens when we get together as a church and just focus solely on worship. We've always said it that when you worship God, your problems look small. When you focus on your problems, God looks small. It's amazing how perspective changes on that which you focus on. And so when we focus our minds on the worship of God... Our problems, our issues, our, our, our daily crises look a lot smaller because we're worshiping an amazing big God. So I want to invite you all back here on Tuesday uh, at 7 p.m. Come on out and, and just spend a night, about an hour, hour, 15 minutes of just worship. So come on out. All right, today we are continuing in our series called Visible. Uh, it, what we started off six weeks ago was to go through the visible things in our life that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we follow Him. As we surrender, the Holy Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us in increasing measures. And my prayer as pastor and as an elder of this church is that the people of Catalyst simply exhibit those to greater and greater and greater degrees. That we as a church, that our families, that our individuals, and that we as a church will simply be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because that is the sign of a spirit-filled believer, a spirit-filled family, a spirit-filled church. That's what the Bible says. The, the, when, where the Holy Spirit is in control, those things happen. So we're talking about faithfulness today. And the main thing that Susan, Suzanne said is that we stay committed to that which we have given our lives to. That is what faithfulness is. So um, this past weekend, on, on, on Monday, I was honored to give the, uh, the invocation and the benediction at the Memorial Day service out at Camp Nelson. Anyone ever been to a Memorial Day service at Camp Nelson? Uh, where we honor uh, the, those who, uh, the veterans who, who gave their lives uh, uh, in, in service of this country. It was an incredibly moving time. It was incredibly well done. And there's so many veterans with uniforms showing, uh, you know, the Marine Corps and Coast Guard and Army and Navy and Air Force and, and what branch they served in, shirts and hats, et cetera. The main speaker was a 96-year-old veteran that was present at the Battle of the Bulge. If you don't know what the Battle of the Bulge is, it is not middle-age problems, okay? That's, that's, that's what a lot of us are fighting right now. The Battle of the Bulge was an incredibly uh, uh, intense time of fighting to reward to where the Germans launched an, a counteroffensive uh, to, to try to break out, try to break the Allies' momentum pushing into Germany. It was, a, it, it was a time of incredible fighting. It was in the dead of winter. It was miserable. And, and this guy uh, spoke about that. As I listened to him speak, I thought about his generation, known as the greatest generation. Uh, my grandparents were part of that generation. They embodied so many of the values of that generation. Um, my, on my dad's side, my grandparents were married 51 years before death parted them. Um, my granddad, after coming home from World War II, he went to work for General Shell Brick and worked there 39 years until he retired. Um, they, he, my grandparents joined St. Matthew's United Methodist Church and were members there for 63 years. One church, 63 years. 
Uh, on my mom's side, my grandparents were married 65 years before death parted them. My grandparents joined Brentwood United Methodist Church and were members there until their deaths. One church. Uh, they're, they're, that generation grew up in incredibly hard times. The Great Depression, uh, World War II, they saw deprivation and hardship firsthand. And so they decided, as a generation, there were some exceptions, but they decided to plant their lives and stay. Because of all the stuff that they had uh, um, uh, gone through, they were going to commit to marriage, or commit to a job, commit to a church. And historians and sociologists have called them the greatest generation uh, because of their astonishing accomplishments. They, uh, they came back from World War II. They, they, they defeated fascism over in Europe and, and, and in the Far East, and, and they built America when they came back. They built highways. They, they made innovations in, in, in transportation, and, and they invented the suburbs. As a matter of fact, life as we know it in 2019 is largely a product of the greatest generation. We are, we are standing on their shoulders. And life as we know it, like I said, it was built by this generation. I truly believe their ability to stay faithful and to follow through with their commitments was what made their generation great. And I believe that most, if not all, of our problems that we face today in 2019 aren't because of defective genetics or because we're bad people or whatever. It's that we can't stay faithful. We can't stay consistent. We can't stay committed to the things that we know we need to commit ourselves to. And so uh, we are people who fly from thing to thing, from job to job, from, from church to church, from relationship to relationship, town to town, breaking promises, breaking commitments, and our world thinks nothing of it. Uh, what has that gotten us? How's that got, how's that, what's that gotten us as a, as a country and as people? Well, in stark contrast to that, the Bible gives us an alternative vision that we are to embrace, and that is to stay faithful. Understand this. When you allow the Holy Spirit to control your life, he produces commitment, consistency, and follow through in everything that you do. And how does he do it? Well, I'm glad you're asked. The secret to faithfulness, here it is, guys. The secret to faithfulness is elimination. Everybody say elimination. Elimination. Joshua 24, 14 through 15, after Joshua led the nation of Israel into, into the promised land, he was about to, uh, about to go, go on to heaven, and he said this, to, this was his parting words to the nation of Israel, he said, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord, but, he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you're going to serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We cannot stay committed to that which we've given our lives to if we allow others on the playing field. Okay? That's what it's saying. So what do you need to eliminate? That's the question. What do you need to eliminate? That's the question. All right, uh, God had brought Israel out of slavery, part of the Red Sea, provided for their every need, and they still couldn't stay faithful to him, still couldn't commit to him, still couldn't make up their minds. It wasn't that they had a problem with God. Hear this. They didn't have a problem with God. They loved God. If you would have gone up to any person in the nation of Israel and asked, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's the one that did this and this and this and this for us. It wasn't a problem. They didn't have a problem with God. They loved him. They weren't walking away from him, still believed in him. But they said, well, what's wrong with worshiping some others too? After all, the people around us are doing it. 
and it's working out pretty well for them. What, what's, what's wrong with kind of, you know, doing what they're doing? We are so much more sophisticated than those Stone Agers, aren't we? I mean, what a bunch of primitive morons. We in America in 2019 are so much more sophisticated and educated. We would never look at the people around us and the culture around us and say, hey, let's do what they're doing, right? Well, the problem is, is that in order to stay faithful to God, we must eliminate his competitors in our lives, the things that compete for our ultimate attention, the things that compete for our ultimate satisfaction, the things that compete for our attention, our time, our money. We must eliminate those. That's why Joshua said, choose for yourself this day who has your heart. If we allow too many people on the playing field, we're not going to stay faithful to God. A.W. Tozer said this, said this generation has bought the lie that you can, stay, that you can be a Christian without forsaking the world. That's a lie. You cannot follow God without forsaking the world and everything it says to do. You can't. Choose for yourself this day. We must eliminate the competitors for our heart. And Jesus actually says to be rather ruthless about this. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Ruthlessly, ruthlessly eliminate those things that drag your heart away from God. The secret to being faithful to God, being faithful in anything, is elimination. See, so many times, I, I said this in the men's retreat yesterday, um, I'm really glad you guys went there. I said a lot of times we go to church or we go to men's retreats or women's retreats and we find out all these things we need to do. And I'm like, I, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm not saying to add anything to your already busy schedule. I'm telling you to eliminate. I'm saying to simplify, to get rid of God's competitors in your hearts. And every one of you know that there's a competitor for, for your heart in, in, uh, with, with God that we need to eliminate. The second thing that we have to do in order to stay faithful is that we must eliminate toxic relationships. Toxic relationships. This is the number one thing the Bible says will lead you away from him, from staying faithful to God. Look at this, 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6. This is nothing new. It's been the story of humanity from the time beginning. Where's 1 Kings 11, 1 through 6? King Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. Wisest man that ever lived. However, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonianites, Hittites, websites, you know, you name it. They were nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth. Doesn't sound very wise to me. His wives turned his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Interestingly enough, you know what Molech de de desired from his people? You know, in order to worship Molech, this god, um, you know what he had to do? You had to sacrifice your children. You had to sacrifice your children. Interestingly enough, what are we struggling with today? in America in 2019, sacrificing our children. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And those are there, those are, there are some of us in here, and you know who you are, that are in relationships you have no business being in. Let's just go ahead and say it. We're dating people, we're engaged to people who are leading our hearts away from God. Maybe you married someone who is leading your, hearts, your heart away from God. 
And, and, and I've seen it time and time again. Someone's active in the church, active in the faith, and they start dating someone who doesn't share their faith commitments, and they disappear. So the, 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 I think that Bruno Mars is probably one of the best singers out right now. Um, he's, uh, he, he's really good. There, there's a song called Grenade, and I was listening to it the other day, and it sounded more like a country song than a pop song. He, 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 so the chorus goes like this, I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd throw my hand on a blade for you. I'd jump in front of a train for you. Uh, I'd do anything for you. I'd go through all this pain, take a bullet straight through my brain. Yes, I would die for you, baby, but you won't do the same. Song basically tells how dedicated he is to his lady friend, and she doesn't reciprocate. All right. That's awesome. Hey, you know what, that, you know what that, that's the sound of? You know what baby crying that's the sound of? That's the sign of a healthy church. Because, I mean, this is, our, this is our newest member here, youngest member. I love it. That's the sound of a healthy church. Believe me, the sound of a church where there are no babies crying, that church ain't going to be around a long time, okay? So that's the sign of a healthy church right there, and we love you. Yeah, we love you. So, but anyway, the song basically tells how dedicated he is to his lady friend and how she doesn't return the, doesn't return the favor. And this is known as being unequally yoked in biblical terminology. Now, you guys need to listen to this here. Okay? Basically, what it means is the two people have differing levels of commitment to each other. And when that happens, someone's going to get hurt badly. As I listen to poor Bruno sing, sing the blues here, uh, I, I thought of what the Apostle Paul said about not being equally, unequally yoked in marriage in the context of unbelievers. And I've had this question asked to me many, many, many times. Many times. Can a Christian date a non-Christian? And I always answer with the resounding no. And that always gets me in trouble because I get accused of, of, of you know, being judgmental or, 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 or bigot or I don't like people. Or, no, it's not like that at all. The Christian concept of dating other only Christians is not judgmental or bigoted. It's far from it. It, it, it. God doesn't want you to hate anyone or discriminate against someone because of bigotry, Okay. Can a Christian and a Christian love each other? Non-Christian love each other? Sure, they can love each other. Can a Christian and a non-Christian communicate and respect each other? Absolutely. It's just that any relationship where the people are unequally yoked, listen, is going to have major trouble. Every, everyone's moving towards something in your life. Remember this. Whatever you value most is what you are moving towards. Whatever you're committed to, that's what your life is moving towards. And what we prioritize is what we move towards. And if you're a Christian, you are moving towards Jesus Christ. That's it. That is your goal. Jesus Christ is the ultimate force in your life, and you're moving towards him. An unbeliever doesn't share that. They're moving somewhere else, okay? And a person who's not a Christian doesn't share that priority. And so uh, as a relationship progresses, the two people are going to move apart because the Christian is heading one direction and the non-believer is heading another direction. And that's why sociologists and marriage experts tell us that most marriages die with a whimper, not with an explosion. They just kind of move apart. Fall out of love. And, and it, let's, say that, that, uh, you know, let's say that as he's moving and he's growing, he's maturing in his faith, and he wants to take the Christian concept of, of tithing and generosity seriously, so he suggests to his non-believing wife that, that you, hey, we need to take the first 10% of our money and we need to give it to the church I go to. Well, she doesn't share that. She thinks the first 10% should go into debt reduction or, or savings or something like that. And, and any of you married folks know that when you disagree about money, it's it's pretty much over. It is, it is a tough, tough thing to do. 
Okay, so let's say that as, as he's moving towards, uh, uh, let's say that he wants to take a, a, some of his vacation and go on a mission trip. Well, she doesn't want to do that. She wants to take a family vacation. Well, see, all these things happen when you're unequally yoked and you're moving in different directions. See, guys, marriage is tough enough when you are equally yoked. Marriage is tough enough when you share the same values. And that's why we must eliminate relationships that move us away from Christ. Seriously. It's not that God wants you to discriminate or hate or be fearful of non-Christians when, you, when, you want to, when it comes to dating and marriage. It's just that marriage, like I said, is difficult enough. And you say, well, what about casual dating? Well, I don't believe in casual dating. And I've told this to my kids. I'll say it to you. If you're dating casually with no uh, uh, aspect of moving towards marriage, you don't need to be dating. You say, well, that's kind of mean. Not really, because you're inevitably going to break up, and that's painful. And they cause all kinds of drama and issues, everything like that. Marriage that lasts for the long haul involves two people who can communicate on the most deeply held level, which is the level of your faith. Okay? And so, guys, if you are dating people that are not moving the same direction as you, you're going to be like King Solomon, and they're going to turn your heart away from God. It will. If you don't think so, I mean, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. It happens all the time. And so I'm asking you, we need to eliminate relationships in our lives, as wonderful as they are, as satisfying as they are, that are moving you away from Christ because they're going to compromise your faithfulness to Christ. Guarantee, 100%. In order to stay committed to that which we are given our lives to, we have to eliminate toxic relationships. The third thing we need to do is we need to eliminate the lesser option. Eliminate the lesser option. Everybody say lesser option. 1 Kings 18.21 says this, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. He said, listen, how long are you going to waver? Choose. So here's the question. Husbands, how long will you waver between your wife and the lady at the office? How long? Uh, how, how long uh, will we waver, uh, you know, wives, how long will you waver between your husband and the guy online? How long will you waver between being debt-free and the temptation to spend every penny? How long will we waver? How long will we waver between being healthy and using food as a drug like most of us do? Most of us don't eat because we're, we're, we're dying. We eat because it tastes good and it gives us pleasure. How long will we waver between being a Christian family and that being your identity and com compromising our faith at every possible time? How long will we waver? People in recovery, I'm so glad you guys are here and we have some graduates from the Revive program today that just graduated this week, praise God. How long will we waver between staying sober and going after that which addicts us? How long? In order to stay faithful, we must do what's called eliminating the lesser option. We decide what is better, what is in line with what we believe, with where we're going, and we go after that and we eliminate the other option, the lesser option. And when we get it in, in life, when we get in trouble, it's because we choose the lesser option. Okay? Toxic relationships and lesser options eliminated. We are free to, number four, stay committed to that which we have given our lives to. All right, this is where I get fired up, you guys. This is where I get really, really fired up, right here. 
Once we've eliminated, we've practiced hardcore elimination of the things that are leading us away from God so we can stay faithful, look what happens. First, Second Timothy 4, 7, the apostle Paul eliminated all of the things that competed for his heart. And at the end of his, his very last writings, his last statement to this world, oh, I love this, you guys. You ready for it? Check this out. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. Can you imagine at the end of your life that being what you say? How many people are going to reach the end of their lives and they're going to have nothing but regret? I wish I would have. I wish I would have. I wish I would have done this. I wish. No, no, no. Not the Apostle Paul. He said, I have done everything I was here to do. I finished. I crossed the finish line with no regrets. And now there's a prize waiting for me that I've been yearning for my whole life. Mm, that's good stuff. I want these to be the last words I speak before I die. If the Lord grants me the opportunity to say one thing, maybe if, if, if I have a heart attack before I finish this, and I, I hope that I will have enough breath to, as I'm falling to the floor to, to, to say into this, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I've stayed faithful. That's what I want my last words to be. And I pray that that's what I want yours to be as well. See, in the church, we celebrate some strange things. <clears throat> We're weird. We celebrate some really strange things. And, and it's not that we're bad. It's just that we, we, we celebrate people. We like people who are on fire for God. You heard that? Oh, man, he's just on fire for God. Oh, she is just on fire for God. You heard that? I hear that a lot. Oh, man, he is just on fire for God. Oh, I am so on fire for God. You've, you've heard that, right? Well, over the last 20 years of being a pastor, I worry about folks like that. I do. Because usually the people that are on fire the most are the people in three years that are no longer even part of a church. See, Jesus referred to these folks in his parable, the sower, as the rocky soul that springs up quickly. And then fades away. See, I, what I would like to see us celebrate is not the person that makes big, bold proclamations of who they are and what they're going to do and, and, and everything. What I would like to see us celebrate are people who have stayed faithful to God for 20, 30, 40 years, who have led their families with humility and integrity and honesty, who, who can be counted on by the church and by their families and by their places of work. Why don't we celebrate those people? Why don't we get the people up here um, and, and, and allow them to give testimonies, not of the great things they've done, but how every single day they've managed to stay faithful to God without, without budging, without wavering. I, I don't understand why we celebrate the people that are on fire for God, and we don't celebrate the people that have slowly and steadily remained faithful to God for the course of their lives. Because if you think about it, really the only thing that counts is what we finish. It doesn't count what we start. It only counts what we finish. I would imagine most of you guys know people who are really good at starting things. It's probably us. We're a lot better at starting things than we are seeing them through. 
We, we, we all know people who've started in their Christian faith, but they're not part of a church or even walking as a Christian now. We, we all know people who started a diet to get healthy, but you know, they didn't finish it, fell off the wagon after about a week. We all know people who started getting on a budget to get finances under control, but eh, not on it anymore. We all know people who started a project at home, ladies, we all know people, and they're usually called men, that start projects at home, but it's half finished and, it's, and it has been that way for years. Uh, we all know people who started all kinds of things, great things, noble things, but couldn't see it through, right? Well, if you think about it, the only things in life that matter are things we see through to the end. And the only things that you will be known for in life, people, are the things that you saw through to the end. All right? That you've done faithfully and consistently over time. Decide who you are. Commit to being that person and stay consistent in being that person. Your reputation is developed over time, people. Your reputation, the things that people think of you, is developed over time. By being consistent and faithful in the things that your reputation is. If you think about someone's reputation, it's what they have been faithful to. All right? And you can only honor God with your reputation and the things that you have been faithful to. That's the only way a Christian can honor God. People of Catalyst, here's a question that your pastor is lovingly asking of you. Can you be counted on? Are you the kind of person that God, that your family, this church, that I can count on? Are you faithful to that which you committed yourself to? Will you see yourself, your faith through to the end? I want to share a personal goal with you. I've been pastor of this church for 11 years. God willing... I would like to pastor this church for 40 years. It's 29 more years. I'd like to make this declaration public. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if the Lord has different plans, which the best laid plans of mice and men, we all know. But God willing, I would like to pastor this church until I'm 73 years old. This is the last church I'm ever going to pastor. God willing. My question is, will any of you be here with me? Will any of you be here? Are there any J.B. and Della Kiblers who committed to their church for 63 years? Are there any James and Edith Mugglers, which are my, my mom's parents out there today, who will stay committed to this church, to their church? I'm asking. I am committing myself to this church and serving this church I'm, going, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to see this church through to the end until I can no longer pastor. So I'll ask you the same question that Joshua asked of Israelites 4,000 years ago. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Catalyst Christian Church, how long will we as people waver between two options? If the world is right, follow it. If Christ is right, follow him. Let's rid ourselves of the spiritual bipolarism that is so prevalent in the world today. And where we call ourselves Christians but live unfaithfully to Jesus and his word. I want to invite the band to come on back up. Today, as your pastor, as, as, as your friend, I'm asking you to eliminate. Eliminate. Practice hardcore elimination 
Let's eliminate toxic relationships that move us away from God. Let's eliminate the lesser options that cause us to compromise into unfaithfulness. Let's finish this life strong, Catalyst Christian Church. Let's finish this life strong. Let our last words on this planet be those of Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And when you feel like quitting, remember the faithfulness of God to you. Remember the faithfulness of God to you. How many of you all, the only reason maybe you're even alive is because God has been faithful to you? Amen. Amen. And I leave you with Lamentations 3, 23. Those of you all that are struggling to stay faithful to God or faithful to your calling. He says this, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your